0: Sophie's World by Jostine Gardner. The Garden of Eden At some point, something must have come from nothing. Sophia Munson was on her way home from school. She had walked the first part of the way with Joanna. They had been discussing robots. Joanna thought the human brain was a little like an advanced computer. Sophie was not certain she agreed. Surely a person was more than a piece of hardware. When they got to the supermarket, they went their separate ways. Sophie lived on the outskirts of the sprawling suburb and had almost twice as far to go to school as Joanna. There were no other houses beyond her garden, which made it seem as if her house lay at the end of the world. This was where the woods began. She turned the corner into clover clothes. At the end of the road was a sharp bend known as Captain's Bend. People seldom went that way except on the weekend. It was early May, and some of the gardens the fruit trees were encircled with dense clusters of daffodils. The birches were already in pale green leaf. How extraordinary how everything burst forth at this time of year. What made this great mass of green vegetation come welling up from the dead earth as soon as it got warm and the last traces of snow disappeared? As Sophia opened her garden gate, she looked in the mailbox. There was a usually a lot of junk mail and a few big envelopes for her mother, a pile of dump on a kitchen table before she went up to the room to start homework. From time to time, there would be a few letters from the bank for her father, but then he was not a normal father. Sophie's father was the captain of a Big Oil Tanker and was away for most of the year. During the few weeks at the time he was at home, he would shuffle around the house, making it nice and cozy for Sophie and her mother. But when he was at sea, he could seem very distant. There was only one letter in the mailbox, and it was for Sophie. The white envelope read, Sophia Munson, Threes, Clover, Close." That was all. It did not say whom it was from. There was no stamp on it either. As soon as Sophie had closed the gate behind her, she opened the envelope. It contained only a slip of paper, no bigger than the envelope. It read, Who are you? Nothing else, only the three words, written by hand and followed by a large question mark. She looked at the envelope again. The letter was definitely for her. Who else could have dropped it in the mailbox? Sophie let herself quickly into the red house. As always, her cat, Shere managed to slink out of the bushes, jump onto the fourth step, and slipping through the door before she closed it behind her. Whenever Sophie's mother was in a bad mood, she would call the house they lived in a menagerie. Menagerie was a collection of animals. Sophie certainly had one and was quite happy with it. It had begun with three goldfish, Goldtop, Red Riding Hood, and Blackjack. Next, she got two budgerigars called Smit and Smule, then Godiva the tortoise, and finally the marmalade cat, Shere They had all been given to her to make up for the fact that her mother never got home from work until late in the afternoon, and her father was always away so much, sailing all over the world. Sophie slung her school bag on the floor and put a bowl of cat food out for Shere Then she sat down on the kitchen stool with the mysterious letter in her hand. Who are you? She had no idea. She was Sophia Munson, of course, but who was that? She had not really figured that out. Yet. What if she had been given a different name? Anne Knutson, for instance. Would she have been remembered as someone else? She suddenly remembered that Dad had originally wanted her to be called... Little more. Sophie tried to imagine herself shaking hands and introducing herself as Little Munson, but it all seemed so wrong. It was someone else who kept introducing herself. She jumped up and went into the bathroom with this strange letter in her hand. She stood in front of the mirror and stared into her own eyes. I am Sophia Munson, she said. The girl in the mirror did not react as much as a twitch. Whatever Sophie did, she did exactly the same. Sophie tried to be her reflection with a lightning movement, but the other girl was just as fast. Who are you? Sophie asked. She received no response to this either, but felt a momentary confusion as to whether it was she or her reflection who had asked the question. Sophie pressed her index finger to the nose in the mirror and said, You are me. As she got no answer to this, she turned the sentence around and said, I am you. Sophia Munson was also often dissatisfied with her appearance. She was frequently told that she had beautiful almond-shaped eyes, but that was probably something people said because her nose was too small and her mouth was a little bit big. And her ears were much too close to her eyes. Worst of all was her straight hair, which was impossible to do anything with. Sometimes her father would stroke her hair and call her the girl with the flaxen hair, after a piece of music by Claude Debussy. It was all right for him. He was not condemned to living with this straight hair. Neither mousse or styling gel had the slightest effect on Sophie's hair. Sometimes she thought she was so ugly that she wondered if she was malformed at birth. Her mother always went on about how difficult her labor was. But was that really what determined how you looked? Wasn't it odd that she didn't know who she was? And wasn't it unreasonable that she hadn't been allowed to have any say in what she could look like? Her looks had just been dumped on her. She could choose her own friends, but she certainly couldn't choose herself. She had not even chosen to be a human being. What was a human being? Sophie looked up at the girl in the mirror again. I think I'll go upstairs and do my biology homework, she said, almost apologetically. When she was out in the hall, she thought, no, I'd rather go out to the garden. Kitty, kitty, kitty! Sophie chased the cat out to the doorstep and closed the front door behind her. As she stood outside the gravel path with a mysterious letter in her hand, the strangest feeling came over her. She felt like a doll that had suddenly been brought to life by the wave of a magic wand. It wasn't it extraordinary to be in a world right now, wandering around in a wonderful adventure? Sheer sprang lightly across the gravel and slid into a dense clump of red currant bushes. A live cat, vibrant with energy from its white whiskers to its twiscent tail to the end of its sleek body. It was here in the garden, too, but hardly aware of it in the same way as Sophie. As Sophie started to think about being alive, she began to realize that she would not be alive forever. I'm in the world now, she thought, but one day I shall be gone. Was there a life after death? This was another question the cat was blissfully unaware of. It had not been long since Sophie's grandmother had died. For more than six months, Sophie had missed her every single day. How unfair that life had to end. Sophie stood on the gravel path, thinking. She tried to think extra hard about being alive so as to forget that she would not be alive forever. But it was impossible. As soon as she concentrated on being alive now, the thought of dying also came into her mind. The same thing happened the other way around. Only by conjuring up an intensive feeling of one day being dead could she appreciate how terribly good it was to be alive. It was like two sides of coin that she kept turning over and over. And the bigger and clearer side of the coin became, the bigger and clearer the other side became too. You can't experience being alive without realizing that you have to die, she thought. But it's just as impossible to realize you have to die without thinking how incredibly amazing it is to be alive. Sophie remembered Granny saying something like that the day the doctor told her she was ill. I never realized how rich life was until now, she had said. How tragic that most people had to get ill before they understood what a gift it was to be alive. Or they had to find a mysterious letter in the mailbox. Perhaps she should go and see if any more letters had arrived. Sophie hurried to the gate and looked inside the green mailbox. She was startled to find that it contained another white envelope, exactly like the first. But the mailbox had definitely been empty when she took the first envelope. This envelope had her name on it as well. She tore it open and fished down a note the same size as the first one. Where does the world come from, it said. I don't know. Sophie thought. Surely nobody really knows. And yet, Sophie thought it was a fair question. For the first time in her life, she felt it wasn't right to live in a world without at least inquiring where it came from. The mysterious letters made Sophie's head spin. She decided to go and sit in the den. The den was Sophie's top secret hiding place. It was where she went when she was terribly angry, terribly miserable, or terribly happy. Today, she was simply confused. The Red House was surrounded by a large garden with lots of flower beds, fruit bushes, fruit trees of different kinds, and a spacious lawn with a glider and little gazebo that Grandad had built for Granny when she lost their first child a few weeks after it was born. The child's name was Marie. On a gravestone were the words... Little Marie, who came to us, greeted us, and left again. Down in the corner of the garden, behind all the raspberry bushes, was a dense thicket where neither flowers nor berries would grow. Actually, it was an old hedge that had once been marked the boundary to the woods, but because nobody trimmed it for the last twenty years, it had grown into a tangled and impenetrable mass. Granny used to say that the hedge made it harder for the foxes to take the chickens during the war, when the chickens had a free range of the garden. To everyone but Sophie, the old hedge looked just as useless as the rabbit rabbit hutches at the other end of the garden. But that was only because they hadn't discovered Sophie's secret. Sophie had known about the little hole in the hedge for as long as she could remember. When she crawled through it, she came into a large cavity between the bushes. It was like a little house. She knew nobody would find her there. Clutching the two envelopes in her hand, Sophie ran through the garden, crouched down on all fours, and wormed her way through the hedge. The den was almost high enough for her to stand up outright, but today she sat down on a clump of gnarled roots. From there she could look out through the tiny peepholes holes between the twigs and the leaves. Although none of the holes were bigger than a small coin, she had a good view of the whole garden. When she was little, she used to think it was fun to watch her mother and father searching among her the trees. Sophie had always thought the garden was a world of its own. Each time she heard about the Garden of Eden in the Bible, it reminded her of sitting here in the den, surveying her own little paradise. Where does the world come from? She hadn't the faintest idea. Sophie knew that the world was only a small planet in space. But where did space come from? It was possible that space had always existed, in which case she would also not need to figure out where it came from. But could anything just always existed? Something deep inside her protested at the idea. Surely everything that existed must have a beginning. So space must sometimes have been created out of something else. But if space had come from something else, then that something else might have come from something. Sophie felt she was only deferring the problem. At some point, something must have come from nothing. But, But was that possible? Wasn't that just as impossible as the idea that the world had always existed? They had learned at school that God created the world. Sophie tried to console herself with the thoughts that that was probably the best solution to the whole problem. But then she started to think again. She could accept that God had created space. But what about God himself? Had he created himself out of nothing? Again, there was something deep down inside her that protested. Even though God created all kinds of things, He could hardly create himself before he had a self to create with. So there was only one possibility left. God had always existed. But she already rejected that possibility. Everything that existed had to have in a beginning. Oh, drat! She opened the envelopes again. Who are you? Where does the world come from? What annoying questions! And anywhere, where did the letters come from? That was just as mysterious. Almost. Who jolt, who had jolted Sophie out of her everyday existence and suddenly brought her face to face with the great riddles of the universe? For the third time, Sophie went to the mailbox. The mailman had just delivered the day's mail. Sophie fished out a bulky pile of junk mail, periodicals, and a couple of letters for her mother. There was also a postcard of a tropical beach. She turned the card over. It had a Norwegian stamp on it and was postmarked UN Batalation. Could it be from Dad? But wasn't he in a completely different place? It wasn't his handwriting either. Sophie felt her pulse quicken a little as she saw who the postcard was addressed to. Hilda Moller Gnag, Co Sophie Munson, three clover clothes. The rest of the address was correct. The card read, Dear Hilda, Happy 15th birthday. As I'm sure you'll understand, I want to give a present for you that will help you grow. Forgive me for sending the card, co-Sophie. It was the easiest way. Love from Dad. Sophie raced back into the house and into the kitchen. Her mind was in a turmoil. Who was this Hilda, whose 15th birthday was just a month before her own? Sophie got out of the telephone book. There were a lot of people called Molar and quite a few called l- nag but there was nobody in the entire directory called Molar-NAG. She examined the mysterious card again. It certainly seemed genuine enough. It had a stamp and a postmark. Why would a father send a birthday card to Sophie's address when it was quite obviously intended to go to somewhere else? What kind of father would cheat his own daughter of a birthday card by purposely sending it astray? How could it be the easiest way? And above all, how was she supposed to trace this Hilda person? So now Sophie had another problem to worry about. She tried to get her thoughts in order. This afternoon, in the space of two short hours, she had been presented with three problems. The first problem was who put the two white envelopes in her mailbox. The second was the difficult questions these little contained. The third problem was who Hilda Moller-Nag could be and why Sophie had been sent her birthday card. She was sure that the three problems were interconnected in some way. And they had to be because until today, she had lived a perfectly ordinary life. Thank mm-hmm. you.